Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Morris Bustinsky speaking. You're listening to episode 173 of the Love It Album podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. This show is proudly part of the Pantheon Network of Music Discussion Podcasts. This episode is a direct follow-on from episode 172, uh, Favourite Musical Discoveries of 2023. I asked five wonderful people who are in the music broadcasting, music discussion, music authorship field to talk to me about their favourite discoveries of 2023. And by discoveries, I mean either new albums that they heard for the first time this year or something that they may have heard from a long time ago which they'd only just discovered in this particular year. Most of the nominations from my five guests were from 2023. There's a couple of exceptions, and you'll hear at least one of them in this episode. And as well as the two guests who I'll tell you about in a moment, I also have a bit of MP3 feedback. Yes, someone sent me an MP3, a wonderful fellow from the Love That Album Facebook group. I'll talk to you about him in a moment. But the two guests who I invited on the show for this episode are Ian McFarlane, the author and music journalist. He's written one of the definitive books of Australian music history, the Encyclopedia of Australian Rock and Pop, second edition. You can still get a copy of that from thirdstonepress.com.au. And I really recommend that you do. It's always something that I turn to. He also writes articles for Rhythms Magazine and many of the Aztec CD liner notes, the reissues put out by that fine reissue label here in Australia. They're really beautifully put together and sort of, you know, take the sort of care that we sort of remember from the Rhino reissues of many years ago. And at the end of the show, there'll be the host of the album show on EONFM slash EONFM slash Triple MFM between 1980 and 1993, the wonderful Billy Pinnell. And truth be known, if it wasn't for Billy, I'm not even sure I'd be doing this podcast. So you can thank him or blame him, whichever way you see fit. But for those of us who listen to the show back during that period, Billy was always introducing some new music 
on that program that all his listeners uh, just absolutely devoured. He was an oasis in what I thought was a desert of commercial radio even back then. The fact that Billy chooses to grace this little podcast with his time and energy is just, it's no small thing to me, really, to be honest. All five of the guests who I've had on this special, I'm grateful for every one of them taking the time to uh, speak to me and hence to you about their favorite music of 2023. Now, I said this in the last episode, but I'll repeat it here. The reason why I didn't put all five guests in the one episode was because we would have had a show that goes for longer than four hours. Now, that's not a big deal to me, but I know that some people like to have their shows in a slightly more digestible form. So the last episode was about two hours and 20 minutes or something like that. So if you want to go back and hear what Jeff Jenkins, Pat Monahan, and Brian Nankervis had to say, then I really recommend that you go back to episode 172 and then carry on with episode 173. Doesn't matter what order you listen to. They're both standalone shows and both have a lot of fine music suggestions for your ear holes, albums that you may have already heard or albums that you may not have caught up with yet. So I recommend that you get a pen and some paper. Now, as well as Ian and Billy, I'm really thrilled to welcome some feedback from a fellow who's in the Love That Album Facebook group. Uh, His name is Mark Andrew. And Mark is incredible because if you follow his Facebook page, he has been to more gigs this year than anyone I can think of. I mean, at the time that I'm recording this, I think he's just at a fraction under 200 gigs for 2023. That's really quite amazing. And he has a day job. But he devotes his non-working time to going out and supporting local music. And I just think that's incredible. He's a big champion of uh, local bands and frequents all the uh, great music pubs here in Melbourne. So here's to you, Mark. And he's gone and nominated 10 albums that rocked his world this year. So thank you for taking the time to do that, Mark. I'll be playing Mark's segment in between Ian and Billy's segments. So listen out for that. As I said, grab a pen and some paper. You'll be wanting to uh, take some some notes there and maybe follow up on some of the albums that these fine gentlemen have gone and suggested for you. Enough of my rambling. I'll be back after Billy's segment and I'll be talking with you about what is going to be happening in early 2024 with Love That Album. Okay, we'll be back shortly. Here's Joanne with the information on how you can write to the show, how you can get in contact with me, how you can join the Facebook group, all that sort of good stuff. And then I'll be back at the end of the show to talk with you about what's happening in 2024. I got a dusty old pile of vinyl records sitting on my floor. We hope you're enjoying the show. You can find previous episodes at lovethatalbumpodcast.blogspot.com Com, or you can get it along with any of the other great music discussion shows at rockandrollarchaeology.com, all part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. To keep up to date, subscribe to the show via Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. You can email Morris with feedback or album suggestions at rrrkitchen at yahoo.com.au. Join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash love that album and start a music-related discussion.
And once again, we're continuing on this cavalcade, this procession of music journalists and music writers and stars from the uh, Melbourne Music Fraternity. I love doing this show every year. Or, well, I think we missed out last year because real life, you know. But welcoming back to the show, a music writer who I've long admired. He put together the definitive book on Australian rock and pop, the Encyclopedia of Australian Rock and Pop. Welcome back to the show, Ian McFarlane. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Morris. It's always fun to be here and on the spot. You make me sound good. Uh, well, that's I've got a reason for that because I think you are. Unfortunately, we've only met in the flesh, I think, just the once when, was it last year, where we went to see JFK? We did too. Yeah, that was a good gig. Oh, man. That was so much fun. And now he's left the country. Mm, yeah. Living in Europe. I don't know. Hopefully, he'll be back someday. Be back. But, but He was um, there for a long time prior to coming back to Australia. And he, you know, so he's an interesting international traveller. Yes, mm, he certainly is, but I'm glad I got that chance to see him before he uh, made his uh, onward travels and even got to record an interview with him in a rented apartment when he came down to visit us in Melbourne. And that was, yeah, once again, a whole lot of fun. So yeah, you and I had a great time that night Indeed. seeing uh, his band. So here you are. I gave you the brief as I gave the others. I wanted to know what albums really got you excited this year, be they albums recorded and released this year or albums from a long time ago that you just happened to have discovered this year. So here you go. The floor is yours, Mr. Ian McFarlane, aka Amanda McFarlane. Now I'll cut that bit out. Yeah, that's okay. Yes, my wife will love that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, uh, Morris. Tw- uh, 2023, It's uh, it's been a phenomenal year for music. Lots of stuff I've been listening to. And it's, been, it's great to be in the company that you've been um, interviewing for these sessions because I think uh, I've talked to other the other guys about or other guys about this and some of these fellows that you've interviewed. We all have so much music going through our heads all the time. It's like, I want to listen to that. So you, you listen to it a couple of times, try and take it in, and then you might, might write an article or review or whatever. And so there's so much to take in. But this year, for me, I probably, I'll give you probably, I've got a kind of do- about a dozen, I think, so I'll be very brief. But I think there's a, there's a couple of clear highlights for me this year in terms of the albums that I love. Melbourne's singer-songwriter Leah Senior. I led you on to thinking I was sweet Cause I sing so high and clean But I'm selfish as a cat and I'm hungry as the sea And I cling to my own time like a child up a tree I knew that was going to be on your list. Yeah. I knew it. And and for good reason. Anyway, and yes. for good reason. I just love her music. So her latest album is The Music That I Make. Uh, a delightful, delightful album. Very much kind of folk rock, I guess. She's a singer-songwriter. Uh, I think she's moved down to, or she has moved down to the Surf Coast now, um, but she still tours a lot. She tours the States with people like uh, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, which is amazing because her music is quiet, quiet, quiet folk rock and she's such a delicate singer a delicate songwriter just beautiful she just she takes my breath away she's got one of those incredible voices and i love the the arrangements that she puts into her simple songs she'll do a change up like a chord change or a different progression and you just go wow what was that and you go back and listen to it again just her arrangements are just beautiful beautiful songs on this record she's quiet 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 it's it's as if her and jesse her partner who plays guitar and keyboard 
records have recorded everything at like micro levels. And she told me that it was quite, you know, she wanted to, you know, why not make something quiet in this loud world? She, it was a challenge for her to be so quiet on record. And it's a, it's a beautiful album. So that's the music I make from Leah Senior. Second one is the Sand Pebbles, their latest album, The Antagonist. It was me. So you had to set the scene I said if I do this for you, boy, you better follow You better follow Yeah, you better follow through You were my teacher, my glorious second feature Another fabulous Melbourne band that I've loved for, for years. They've been going since the early 2000s. I reckon I saw them like 20 years ago, just before their first album came out. The, and I've known Christopher Hollow, who's the bass player for a long time, and had a bit of contact over the years with Ben, Michael, and uh, the lead singer also is Andrew Tanner. So uh, just a phenomenal, phenomenal band. I've seen them many, multiple times over the years. Always an amazing band. It's really hard to categorize them but you've kind of put them in that kind of neo-psych perhaps they kind of came out of that area um one time i said to christopher after they'd played a particular gig the bass player christopher hollow i said boy i just realized you uh, the more and more you're sounding like jefferson airplane as a reference point and he said that's really interesting because when we first started we wanted to sound like fairport convention who when they started wanted to sound like jefferson airplane (laughs) (laughs) they started out wanting to sound like an American band, didn't they? Yeah. So there's all these influences into the Sand Pebbles music, and they're all just fans, and they all love psych. It all kind of mixes in. So they go from that the really full on lengthy tracks they've done to. But uh, this is an interesting one. The antagonist. There's um, there's uh, all just really really amazing stuff. How does it compare to their earlier stuff? I was saying that it takes me by. They constantly take me by surprise. It's Sand Pebbles music, but it's so different. There's a track that actually has the Neu beat in the German band Neu N-E-U-I the motoric beat and these crazy melodies over the top of it there's a, a track called Russian I've forgotten what the title is we could look it up but uh, uh, which is probably my favourite uh, favorite track on the album it's just um, it alludes to things like uh, Russian literature and the Ukraine conflict and all that sort of stuff but uh, as, as they say it was written and recorded before the conflict so they kind of throw in all these amazing element so it's got the typical sand pebble sound but they've they just take me by surprise every time each album and all, all the albums are different so you never know what you're going to get with the sand pebbles and here's another sand album gippsland band sand brothers too much sky Sands has been around in a number of different bands over the years and there are other all the other guys have been in various bands for the last 20 years and they just came together only a couple of years ago jammed and they started and they just had all these incredible influences and I am listening to it and interviewing Rick uh, I said to me it's putting on the map all their influences I heard the Triffords I heard Paul Kelly the Coloured Girls I heard the Church I heard all those Die Pretty all those classic bands like that and but I kept 
saying you do have your individual sound and he said no that's interesting because they're all the bands that we love so evidently it's it's always going to infiltrate into what they produce but it's got elements of jangle pop rural rock whatever you want to call it they had a description for it rural rock with occasional chances of rain or something like that that was the way they described the music so but once again it's just the way they write songs their arrangements are uh, incredible so once again it's a little bit more of an identifiable sound perhaps so it always comes down to songs for me and if you can grab onto songs and arrangements as much as I love Aussie music I have to say probably in the last 10 years that kind of Triple J sort of bands that always end up in the top of the Triple J top 100s there's no dynamics the music is just all at one level Mm -hmm. no no sense of arrangement I don't want to name names but I think people can kind of hear some of the sounds that are just so popular and I just don't get to I don't latch onto that sound whereas I want to hear things that take me by surprise all the time or interesting arrangements and you know all these three that I were all mentioned um, kind of a latch onto that for me and you know it's really just drums guitar and keyboard stuff but lots of lots of different melodies and arrangements which catch me so so there's three to start off with and then Tim Rogers and the twin set his solo album, he's done probably half a dozen solo albums over the years. Tines of Stars Unfurled. Hey, there are books on how to do it. Hey, you've got the looks and you'll get to it. There's a where and a why and a how. Six tons of miracles. If you cradle all kinds of testicles, lend your particulars to the crew. Tim Rogers is one of my favourite Australian singer-songwriters. You Are My's leader, of course. They've been around since the late 90s. I love You Are My. I've got everything they've ever done. I've interviewed Tim probably four times over the years. I sat with him one time and I went through all their records and we talked about um, the songs that they covered and things like that. He is just an absolute music fanatic. And the Tim Rogers and the Twin set is totally different from what he does with You Are My. So, you know, You Are My tour with the with their particular sound, their alternative rock sound, which they're still doing, still kicking goals. Their album last year and the last couple of albums have just been phenomenal. And he's been working with the hard-ons, the new lead singer. Oh, the hard-ons. hard-ons. Yeah, exactly. How does he fit it all in? So he's a he full fronts, dance card. Exactly. He fronts you and I. He fronts the hard ons. He's done Tim Rogers and the Twin Set. So you know this is a very different thing. Also, earlier on in the year, I saw the band The Monkey Men, which is also fronted by Tim Rogers and has Davy Lane in the band. And there was all these luminaries. They did a, the Kuyong, the Rolling Stones, 1973 oh, yes. tribute concert, and it was phenomenal. It was probably the best show I've seen this year. Wow. He's an incredible incredible performer you know he's he's matured into his performance you know he's always a great performer but he's matured do you remember there was an album that he put out maybe five six seven years ago with the bamboos mm. oh yes what collaboration with they become the lead the lead singer this yeah. this is a guy who loves music because he loves his swagger with yeah, you swagger. and i yeah. he likes his countryside with twin set yeah um he, right. the, the bamboos stuff was just funky, funky. And I saw him when he fronted the bamboos, and they were phenomenal. Oh, oh my uh, yeah. goodness! Yeah, so, no, just incredible performer. I love him. Yeah, I couldn't go past this album, and I, I'll put my own description on it. Listening to it, I haven't had a chance to uh, say this to him, but to me, listening to the Twin Set album, Tim Rogers and 
reference that album sounds like Randy Newman singing I'm in the jailhouse now oh my goodness <laughs> that's that's what I get from listening to it so I love it it's a really good kind of album it's not meant to be taken too seriously it's just a lot of fun hmm. so there is that so then we have Kevin Boric duet album we'll be forever now I Kevin Boric recorded an album this year. Kevin Boric recorded an album. He's been recording wow. it off. He's been recording it on and off over the last few years, probably since COVID. And then he started up touring again. I saw him probably two years ago uh, doing a phenomenal gig. I love Kevin Boric as a performer, and I've once again I've got to interview him several times over the years. When I started hitting the pubs in the late 70s, as well as all the kind of classic bands and all the punk new wave bands I was seeing around Melbourne, I must have seen Kevin Boric express about six times in that kind of era at all sorts of pubs so I know, I've known his music for ages I'm trying to think he would have played the Station Hotel in Paran and Greville Street a lot I think of course the Matthew Flinders all those pubs yeah yeah Station Hotel everywhere hmm. but so he recorded this duets album funnily enough his Tim Rogers comes up again He's he does a song <laughs> with Evan Burridge and uh, that's a good match and he does there's other people like Angry Anderson sings a song I think it's even called Angry <laughs> which is perfect Right. So, um, yeah, look, it's great to see that Kevin Boric is uh, still recording. Uh, he's very much no longer kind of like the Heritage Act or no, Legacy. What do they call him now? Like someone like Russell Morris. Um, Legacy. Oh, yeah, Legacy Act. So Russell Morris is another duet that he does. So, you know, he knows all these guys. He's been touring with them. He's met them over, all over the, since the 60s, you know. But he's no, he's not, even he himself says he's no longer considered to be like a, a high, high class Heritage Act like people like Russell Morris or or Richard Clapton, or Joe Camilleri. Seems to have slipped down the rungs, but he's still got his fan base. And if you like his guitar playing, you know, there's plenty of sounds on this, but it's an interesting dynamic. I like the fact the people that he's recorded with for this duets album. So, yeah, he finally got it out this year. He told me about two years ago that it was recording it, so it's finally come out. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, we're moving on to The Church, a lo- another long-time band who have been my favourites ever since I uh, got the first album in the early 80s and saw them. I've Once again, I've seen them multiple times over the years and I've interviewed Steve Kilby a number of times over the years and always love his work. Once again, he spreads himself far and wide as well. And so, uh, yeah, so it's The Church, The Hypnogog. Double album, another of their lengthy, lengthy works. The Church have done, I don't know how many, 30 albums or something. I've probably got about 20 of them. There's a few that I've missed over the years, patching here and there. I've got, I bought all their singles at the time, so I just love The Church, one of, one of my favourite bands. But The Hypnogog is a very expansive album. And here's another guy that spreads himself across dozens of bands, Ash Naylor. Isn't I was he? going to say, yeah. How does he do it? So he's in The Church, he fronts Eva. 
Raven. He's worked with the Stems. He's uh, yes. Rockwiz uh, Orchestra. He's always doing all them. He was on Mushroom 50th the other night as one of the house band members up on stage playing for every song, you know. <laughs> I think you mentioned before Davey Lane. Lane. Yeah, Tim, Davey Tim Lane. Rogers playing with Davey Lane. But there's a band which has, I think, Ash Naylor, yeah. Davey Lane. Davey Lane. And has, I can... uh, Brett Wolfie from the Casanova. Brett, Brett Wolfie called The Marshmallow Overcoat. Yeah. And I am so hanging out to see them again. Yeah. They don't, they don't seem to have recorded anything, but they when they play live, they're basically playing psychedelic Beatles and Pink Floyd and, you know, all the heavy kind of uh, freak beat rock from the 60s. I love them. They're fantastic. Now, I'm trying to remember, I mean, aside maybe from Ash Naylor, I think it might have been Brett and Davey, and I'm trying to think who the keyboard player was, Bruce Hames maybe, mm-hmm. um, who played as Todd Rundgren's backup band the last time he was here. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah I saw Todd Rundgren, uh, the first tour he did, probably 2012, I think it was. Phenomenal, phenomenal concert I saw him do at the Corner Hotel. But I missed this one that came a couple of years ago when Davey, basically Davey organised the backing band and made Todd play stuff that he has never, ever touched live. Things from his first couple of albums, you know, the Ballad of Todd Rundgren. Yeah. Davey pulled out tracks from some of those early albums and made Todd do them live, apparently. So, oh, I believe Todd's coming back out again. He is coming back out. And if if uh, Davey says, right, here's what we're going to do. I'll put together a crack band, but your show, at least half your show, has to be the first album from the NAS. Um, <laughs> Anything's possible, yeah. Anyway, so we've gone and digress. You were talking about the church. Yes. And, and the was. fact that Ash so, Naylor. Ash Naylor. Ash Naylor, yeah, yeah. And, and Steve Kilby still the singer-bass player, of course. Um, the other guitar player is Ian Hogue, for, who used to be in the Powderfinger, and Tim Poles playing drums. He's been a long-term member as well. So, But, yeah, it's um, interesting. Once again, they've got a huge international fan base, but it's worth listening to. The Hypnogog, I love their long, long albums, uh, long, long tracks. And, you know, they, keep, they do keep things nice, short and, and sweet uh, on occasion as well. So that's that. Here's another interesting one. Fanny Lumsden, her third album, Hey Dawn. Hey Dawn, I believe you when you said the night was long. Hey Dawn, I believe you when you said your boots were is an interesting one. I only found out about her uh, this year. So she's predominantly a mix of country rock and indie pop, which is some really lovely songs. She's got a beautiful voice, one of those clear kind of country influenced voices, but she translates well to an indie pop kind of feel. And uh, the thing I like about her vocals, she sings just absolutely sweetly and beautifully straight. Like all the notes are straight. She, it's not, not only country singers, but pop singers, they drive me wild with, you know, the that kind of wildly vessel trying to get every note in the scale in the, in the phrase. That's called melisma. Something like that. That yeah, is, it, no, it gives me the shits. It gives me the shits. So someone like Fanny <laughs> Lumsden has that absolute, she just doesn't go near that sort of stuff. So yeah, so she's got a lo- very lovely voice. So I like that sort of sound. Uh, so that's been quite interesting listening to that one because I would never have picked that. Although, mind you, one of my favourite country rock singers, even before Casey Chambers kind of exploded onto the scene in the 70s was 
was Anne Kirkpatrick. Who, I remember her. Um, yeah, who was the daughter of Slim Dusty and Joy McKean. So she came from country royalty. Her 70s albums are phenomenal. They're just really beautiful works. So Fanny Lumsden kind of harks back to that for me, but with a more of an indie pop sensibility in there as well. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of nice. And then uh, the big turn up for me for this year is The Silver Sound, their first album, The Silver Sound. album yes this is incredible and they just put out the fuzzbox girl ep which is just absolutely killer they do an amazing version of the donovan track hurdy gurdy man the title track from the ep fuzzbox ep but the silver sound that's shane omara who's been around for years he's a well-known producer engineer he's played with everyone from chris wilson and rebecca barnard and um stephen cummings Rosie westbrook's played with her and but yeah Peter, stephen cummings he's a phenomenal player and Andrew Tanner is the singer, who is also in the Sand Pebbles, who I mentioned earlier on. And he's got another band called the Woodland Hunters. So he's another guy that spreads himself around. <laughs> but, but so what Shane Omar has done with this, the Silver Sound album, is you got to think of it in terms of, of full-on 60s psychedelia. It is just with fuzz galore. A good reference point is the uh, Dukes of Stratosphere, a.k.a. XTC. So, yes. You know. <laughs> but, but, I mean, there's something of the diversity because it's not... The diversity's there, yeah. It's not a complete psychedelic album. I mean, there's mm. there's elements of surf in mm. there as as well. There's, it's just it, it, it's all identifiable as the one band, but it's not they're too adventurous to be doing the same style on every cut on yeah, this album. Exactly. I wish I'd gone to see them. I know that they were doing a gig or maybe more at the Brunswick Ballroom and just couldn't make it. But man, that's such a great album. Yep. So yeah, I like the diversity, and it's something that uh, I find interesting of a guitar player of the calibre of Shane who can cover so many different bases. You'll just have to remember that kind of stuff he played with Chris Wilson and Stephen Cummings and this is his own thing, you know, sort of. Yeah. It's not just a Shane Amara album, you know, he's got his band and Andrew Tennis is a singer so I love that. The next one is Robert Forster's latest album which came out early in the year The Candle and the Flame. I lived in a house down a lane it was so beautiful there, the times were insane I wrote more songs and I heard the rain In that house down the lane Of course, you know, Robert from Go-Betweens and Solo, he's toured for years. Uh, I loved all the Go-Betweens stuff. You can't go wrong with any of that material. I'd heard that he was putting together Volume 3 oh of the Go-Betweens box, box sets. Set. Yeah. Our good friend Pat Monaghan had given me a loan of Volume 2. Oh, yeah. Uh, part of my research when we were talking about 16 Lovers Lane on the podcast several yeah. months ago. So I got to hear this ton of B sides and demos and the live record and just absolutely amazing so i heard he was working on that and uh, yeah talk, talk, talk some more about the candle and the flame because there's it's yeah. a fascinating story behind that yeah well look as far as i can make out from the story as i recall was that he's got a german wife so he recorded it 
in I think you recorded in Germany. I can't look I'm sorry, I can't remember the details, but um you may know more, you may be able to fill us in. So it's just a very typically Robert Forster introspective thing. You know, he's a very serious artist. He's quite sort of polite when you meet him. I, I haven't actually interviewed him, but I've met him a couple of times trying to talk to him and he's a very interesting character to talk to. Listening to the candle and the flame, I've yet to really, really delve right way down deep, but I just like it uh, as a record and I like Robert Forster as an artist. So, so the, the story behind this, and I'm not sure if you recorded it in Germany. I mean, I know like no, he's I can't been, remember. He's exactly. been, he's been. I'm confident he might have recorded it still in Queensland because I'm okay. pretty sure they moved back here. But it's a family affair. I think it's got both of his kids performing on it with them. So it's a real family record. But this was recorded. Like I think his wife had cancer diagnosis. Mm. So now I remember. Fr- yes, yeah. The fragility of these songs, I think, reflects. Mm. you know, the fragility of her situation. He's gone very, very deep. It's it's quite heart-wrenching. He pulls on the heartstrings, I guess. Very emotional, emotionally uh, charged work. But, you know, you expect that from someone like uh, Robert Forster. And now that you've reminded me of the background, that kind of all makes sense. Mm. Candle in the Flame, there's a real, real reference to that. Can't go wrong with a Robert Forster record. Up next, we have Melbourne band Sunset Strip and their double album, Open City. Sunset Strip started out in the mid-80s Melbourne indie scene. They started, they pretty much played kind of a mix of um, Neil Young with really heavy psychedelia. Uh, I loved them. I, I saw that many of their early shows. I even saw the bands that Warwick Brown was in before that. Warwick Brown, of course, the proprietor with Bruce Milne of Greville Records. Lovely guy, one of my uh, great friends. And you, you never get out of the shop if you go in there under a couple of hours because you just talk to, to Warwick. He's such a music fanatic and Andy Turner is a guitar player who's been in the band for a long time but their last three albums have moved into ambient cosmic kind of consciousness music you know space is the place it's uh, almost space rock in a way uh, long undulating songs they use things like loops and Warwick uh, puts all these effects on his guitar and Andy Turner kind of cuts and mixes everything all together so they come out with some really crazy stuff and Open City is like 22 minutes long there's lots of of mellifluous kind of wavery sounds but then they do come in with strange beats every now and then the last three albums this is the third or well, i guess you could call it a trilogy are in this vein of long ambient kraut rocky sort of stuff there's influences of eno tangerine dream Armand Jewel, all those sort of german bands i was talking to warwick about this and i said also what i hear in this record is the Jimi hendrix track uh, 1983 a merman should i turn to be which uh if anyone knows that track, it has that really watery kind of middle length. It's a really long track. It's just unusual with with amazing sounds. That's on the Electric Ladyland album, which is one of my favourites of Jimi Hendrix. So, yeah, but he said, you know, all those influences. Warwick's such a music 
fan. He loves all that combination. He loves Eno. He loves all the German stuff. The Beatles, Pink Floyd. There's uh, lots of Pink Floyd references. Very unusual. Plus, he's the unofficial president of the Australian Neil Young Society. There is no <laughs> such thing as a bad Neil Young record in his eye. In what his do you think? Eyes. What do you think about landing on water, Warwick? Oh, you know, that had some interesting songs on it. That's, yeah, that's just misunderstood. That's one of my favourites. Yeah, I can just hear him saying that. Yeah, trans. What about trans? Oh, no, that's got some good stuff. Ah, yeah. Oh, you know, he wrote that for, that album for his son. I mean, yes. you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's misunderstood. You know? Yeah. Well, in the early days of Sunset Strip, they used to do very long, almost like uh, Neil Young and Crazy Horse tracks live. They were just phenomenal. He's a real music fanatic. He is. So uh, that's a beautiful album. Ashley Naylor's, uh, so talking about Ashley Naylor, who gets he gets around all over the shop. Ashley Naylor, Sun, Soundtracks Volume 2. I haven't delved enough deep enough in there to really identify things, but what I've heard um, is pretty interesting. I have heard it, but I'm sort of more familiar with Volume 1. I've heard mm. that a few more times. Yeah. And yeah. That sounded like, oh, I've got an idea here. It, it sounds mm. more like, and I don't mean this to sound in a bad way, but it sounds like it's a bunch of ideas that he thinks, mm. I'm not quite sure where to put this. Mm. I'll flesh this out. Right, this is the album. It's an album full of ideas, and they're great ideas. Yeah, they're not necessarily songs as such. Anyway, that's just in passing. Okay, so then uh, moving on to Melbourne's Rock Out Kings, the Casanovas, their fourth album, I think, fifth album, Backseat Rhythms. basically party rock, you know, kind of a mix of Ted Nugent, Aussie rock, Rose Tattoo, ACDC, all that sort of stuff. They're a good rockin' band. Once again, they started out in the early 2000s, and uh, the drummer is Brett Wolfie, who's uh, Brett Wolfenden, who Amazing. gets around with uh, the UMI guys. Uh, uh, so yeah. the, the Casanovas uh, sort of remind me a bit of the Helicopters, the Swedish band, yeah, the Helicopters. Yes, that, definitely. That yeah. sort of feel. I, yeah, I love them. I love them. Yeah, yeah, they're just a good fun. Like, as long as they don't take it too seriously, I mean, you know, some of the lyrics are a bit questionable, but <laughs> you just okay. listen to the guitars. Just a three-piece grunt rock and roll band. They're just fantastic. You know, I uh, really enjoyed that. Put it on at a party and everyone will be dancing to it. So it's got that beat. Another song, this is probably my favourite song of this year. Morris, Charm of Finches, their new single, Atlantis. There are days where I can't get through And I call out to the void of you And I know that you're song Far away, but the louder I call, the longer you tend to stay. I have. 
haven't heard this yet, I love the charm of finches. I saw them live last year, I think, at the Port Ferry Folk Festival, and I got not what was their new album at the time, but I think the one before that. And those ladies and their harmonies, well, they're, they're sisters. Mm. Oh, their mm. vocals are wonderful. They certainly are, and this is interesting because I've sort of heard bits and pieces of them, but I've never listened to a whole album. But I heard this track, Atlantis, and I thought at first, is that the uh, Donovan Atlantis? But it's not. It, they've written it. So it's those gorgeous folk harmonies, Baroque folk. Once again, harking back to Leah Senior right at the front of our um, discussion, they're in a competition with themselves to see how quiet they can be on record. It's just a beautiful, beautiful song, Atlantis, from Charmer Finches. Going to move on quickly. Ed Cooper reissued Electrical Storm and one of his solo albums, uh, which are great. Uh, Margaret Roadnight, um, Chapter Music have put out a compilation called Long Time, recorded 1988 to 2023. Girls in school at 15 work at the counter or behind the machine spend all their money on making the scene yet plan on going to England she's a lovely lady Margaret she's celebrating her 80th year and 60 years of performance and she's been recording since the early 70s and this covers her uh, 1988 to 2023 era and she's best known for her hit single Girls in Our Town which was written by Bob Hudson who was never going to do the Newcastle song huh? Yeah, yes, Bob Hudson did that So, but he, he wrote this song which was a hit in 1976 Girls in Our Town Focus. it's kind of like a snapshot of, of Australian rural life They, I mean most people would re- people older people perhaps would re- remember it but she re-recorded it maybe 10 years ago but the guys at Chapter Music have done this compilation because Warner Music put out her Infinity albums from the 70s as a double CD comp about 10 years ago so the guys at Chapter Guy and Ben decided to do this compilation of her latter years I did a lengthy interview with her recently and that's going to be an article in Rhythms magazine January, February so um, yeah she's a lovely lady and and um, it's a good comp. As you can hear, I've been predominantly listening to Aussie music. Most of the time I do, but but I do spend lots and lots of hours listening to uh, overseas stuff. But I did give the Stones album Hackney Diamonds a good listen. Okay. I listened to it through three times and I've, I've dipped into it. It's got half good tracks and the rest is crap. Uh, it's uh, I love the rock. In 2023, that's not necessarily a bad Stones album, no, though, is no, it? No, no, no. It's, uh, you know, people have varying opinions on it. They've got the guitar sound is phenomenal, but Jagger's voice has been processed right up the wazoo. To me, it's just horrible. But I like the guitars, and there's a couple of killer songs on the album. There's one track called... Uh, I can't remember the titles. I should remember the titles. I can look it up quickly, but it harks back to things like Love in Vain. It's it's going to be an absolute... It's going to be a, a future Stones classic. Yeah, uh, look, I spoke about this album. You will not be surprised with Brian Nankervis. It was uh, an album that he treasured. I think he was a lot more generous. I think he said there's a couple of songs that he didn't care for. Sadly, for me as a Beatles fanatic, the Paul McCartney one was the crap one. I can't remember what the track was called, but there was something that sounded right off side two or side three of Exile on Main Street. Sounded mm. like love, Loving Cup, like a, a, a tribute to, to yeah. that, and it was Absolutely. as good as anything. Oh, so. no, yeah, this is right. So, like I'm saying, there's probably, there's probably five tracks which are absolute sheer 
classic stones. So yeah, I can definitely uh, you know get on latch onto those ones. It's some of the more kind of um, cliched ones that I didn't take to. It was worth listening to, but that's probably as much as I should cover in terms of the stuff that I've listened to. But this year I've also listened to lots of seventies and eighties hard rock and heavy metal. Growing up listening to you know Led Zeppelin, uh, yeah Buffalo, <laughs> which is Aussie band Buffalo, uh, Black Sabbath, Purple, and then all the way through the eighties and nineties I was very much into hard rock and metal and obviously punk when, with guitars. I just love loud guitars. So I've always loved all that sort of stuff in the Stooges, any of the, any of that sort of stuff. You can't go wrong with that. But my biggest discovery this year mm-hmm. was the 60s band Eric Clapton, Jack Bruce, Ginger Baker, Cream. <laughs> now, oh. Oh. oh, really? Where did that come so, from? I was not expecting that. I thought you were going to maybe say Ginger Baker's Air Force or something yeah. like that. Oh, no, I love Ginger Baker's Air Force as well. That's really nutty stuff. But let me put it into context. Growing up, once again, talking about bands like Led Zeppelin, Deep Purple, Black Sabbath, for 70s kids, 70s adolescents, to latch onto that sort of music before punk came along, you couldn't go wrong with it. So I knew of Cream, and they had this enormous reputation, and I knew all the songs. You'd hear the songs. I mean, they kept playing, you know, they'd be stuff playing on 3XY. My friend set records. A friend of mine had the Wheels of Fire double album, and we'd listen to that. And it's kind of like, oh, yeah, sort of. No, but I, let's put on Led Zeppelin or, you know, <laughs> uh, let's put on Ozzy Osbourne, Blizzard of Oz or something like that later on. You know what I mean? Mm. So I kind of never delved into it. You know the songs. I've got a two LP comp called Heavy Cream, which is all their studio tracks. So I knew the music, but I discovered this live at the Grand Day Ballroom, Detroit, Michigan, 5th October 1967. It's a soundboard recording. It's an unauthorized CD. But Morris, mm-hmm. everything anyone's ever written about Cream in terms of their influence, their sound, Clapton's guitar playing, Baker's drumming, Jack Bruce's playing. This Cream in October 1967 in Detroit Grand Day Ballroom is the mother of all heavy records. I listened to it all the way through. Like, they played, it's about an hour and a half long. It's a full concert, right? Mm-hmm. And the MC5 apparently supported them on that concert because the MC5 were the Grand Day Ballroom house band, of course. But if you think the MC5 live, Kick Out the Jams is a, is a phenomenal album, you haven't heard Cream live at the Grand Day Ballroom, Detroit, Michigan, 5th October 1967. Phenomenal, Morris. Clapton's guitar sound is the thickest wall of sound. His wah-wah is over the top. They just jam. My head was spinning and I went, I'm listening to it and I went, right, I get it now. But you got to remember, 1967, most bands were still going plink plonk, you know. I always sort of thought 1967 was like the cutoff year. That's when bands stopped going plink plonk. Well, but look, this is right. Only because of the influence of a band like Cream. And of course, Jimi Hendrix's experience was in there as well. But these guys played heavier and faster and louder than any of the American bands. And then, of course, only a couple of, only like a year later, and then 68, 69, you had Jeff Beck Group, Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath came 
came out, Deep Purple, so on. So anyway, look, I, I just, so I've listened to this numerous times. You know, they do 15 minutes of NSU, which is just like a wall of sound. And I'm so glad they jam on it for about nine minutes. You can imagine, like they would have been using martial amps at that stage. Clapton was at the height of his playing. And then, of course, within the next year, they broke up because basically Clapton said, no, I want to do softer stuff. And he, you know, joined Delaney and Body and then Blind Faith and his solo stuff. Completely changed his outlook. But 10 minutes of stepping out, just the thickest guitar sound. And when the three of them, like when Ginger Baker's playing like a million beats a minute because he was playing African rhythms and triplets and quadruplets and stuff before anyone else. He made a great album with Fella Kuti. Well, I mean, it was a live album. Exactly. Hmm. And uh, yeah, you mentioned uh, Ginger Baker Air Force. I mean, that was, he was also playing all his African beats there. But yeah, so the raw power of this recording actually took me by surprise. And like I was saying, I love loud guitars and I didn't ever get Cream, although I know all the songs, but listening to this album, it's just like, right, now I understand what the legend was. The flip side of that is by that stage, late 60s, early 70s, even the critics were saying, that's boring, that's old hat. In the 70s, you know, punk came along and destroyed all the bands, not only the prog bands, but that kind of blues jamming. But if you want to revert back to what would be classic, heavy, improvisational blues rock, you just got to listen to this Cream live recording. There is, a, as I said, an unauthorised bootleg of it. Uh, but for a sound recording from 1967, October 1967, it's the wildest thing, Morris. It's just... If it sounds that good, you sort of wonder whether maybe they'd considered releasing a live album and then just said, yeah, no, nah, I can't be bothered. Well, I don't know, but there's lots of live stuff available, Cream. I mean, you know, from from, from that era? Oh, yeah, from that era. So, yeah, the, the only live stuff that came out of Cream, which has been officially made available, well, Wheels of Fire, was their 68 period, and there's Live Cream, Live Cream Volume 2, and there's all sorts of other stuff, but that's the second half of that era. And, uh, yeah, but this is... And they're a little bit more politer than this. This is just them. They'd only been together a year, but they toured like a full year in the States. And this is them just at the height of their, um, you know. So like I'm saying, if anyone hates that sort of 10, 15 minute blues jamming, run a mile. (laughs) Anyone who likes it and likes loud guitars and loud drumming, this is the one. I suspect that Cream broke up because Jack Bruce got sick of being beaten up by uh, Ginger Bay and maybe Eric Clapton, felt sorry. <laughs> Eric Clapton felt sorry for him and thought, all right, you know, let's let's split so he doesn't have to beat you to a pulp. Um, uh, did you ever see that film, uh, what was it called? Beware Mr. Baker. Or Beware Mr. Baker. Beware yeah, Mr. Yeah. Baker. It's, a, it's wild, isn't it? Not a pleasant man. No, no, he's a nutcase. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, they hated each other. But, of course, how they got their live chemistry was the important thing. But Baker and Jack Bruce were just so heavily into, like, hard drugs and then, of course, Clapton, I think at that point he was, I don't know, yeah, I don't know, don't know, I don't know the full story, but he was more an alcoholic by that stage. And then later on in the 70s, he went into the hard drugs. But can you imagine trying to contain those three guys, you know, at each other's throat? But when they got on stage and they played an hour and a half set like this from October 1967, you think, my God, the whole career for me fell into place in the sense of they why they inspired such uh, wide admiration and other bands followed, followed suit. 
suit, but no one ever matched them for the sheer power at, at this stage. Mm. There you go. Well, Ian, thank you so much. <laughs> that is quite a list. I've written everything I down. Know. I've got a lot to go through to put clips in. No, I know. This, is, this is exciting. I mean, as I said to you at the start of it, I predicted that Leah Senior was going to be in your list. That was... <laughs> I wonder how you knew that. <laughs> oh, I don't know. A, a hunch. This is the funny thing. I, I just love that music so much. And then, of course, I end up this this whole session with Cream. Cream. You know. <laughs> Going through the list, I think the only other album that I would have thought, oh, yeah, he would have picked that it was The Sand Pebbles. <laughs> yeah. um, but aside from that, a lot of news to me. Well, at least stuff that I, wouldn't, I didn't know. Okay. I mean, there's a couple of albums in there that I'm familiar with. As I said, The Silver Sound. And I had heard Candle and the Flame, but there's plenty of other great stuff that I've got to search out. And I'm feeling embarrassed. I've not really sort of like listened to a church album in a long time, but probably the last one, we're going this going back a long time ago, mm. is Priest Equals Aura. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, they've done a lot of good stuff since then. Yeah. I think they lost their fan base in Australia a long time ago, but Steve Kilby doesn't care. They just do what they do. But look, Morris, it doesn't. It doesn't take me by surprise that you haven't listened to them in, year, in years because some of their records are a little bit impenetrable. I think the Hypnogog being a double album takes a lot of your attention. Um, I have yet to really get to the bottom of to, to get to the bottom of the whole thing and take everything in. So there's a lot of music there. But your recommendation is as good a reason as any for me to say, right, okay, I'm going to latch onto at least this album. Mm. Um, I mean, really, to be honest with you, part of the joy for me of speaking to all you wonderful correspondents is to think, mm. right, what rocked your boat? What, sh- what have I missed mm. that I mm. need to bring into my life? And, mm. but I think, But I think the hypnagogue's not, I don't know, It's I've yet to call it a church classic. You know, I think they're well past some of their better ones. Like you mentioned, Priest Equals Aura, which is not an album that I particularly like. I like some aspects of it. I adore it. I love yeah, it. Yeah, I know why. And there's a lot of good stuff on it. Ripple, I think, is on that album, mm. stuff like that. Yep. But some of the albums they did later. There's one called Uninvited Like the Clouds, which I really love. Hologram of Baal's great. Magician Among the Spirits is great. But yeah, look, honestly, if you don't want to spend too much time listening to music, don't invest in the, the hypnagogue by the church. But uh, I just I just love, love the band anyway, so I'm always open to listening. Well, I want to sort of find out before we close off what's happening with you with uh, writing. So you've already gone and said that you've been writing for uh, Rhythms Magazine, but any new projects on the way in terms of the good people over at Aztec Records, any liner notes that you've got ready to write, any great new releases coming from Aztec Records that you're aware of that you can reveal? That I can reveal. Look, it's it's hard to say because Gil operates on his own time. Excuse me, Gil Matthews, the, who uh, runs Aztec Music, and he's a busy man. He's still he's still playing drummer, mm-hmm. so I never I never know. I mean, I've I finished liner notes for two projects, which I finished them over a year ago, and it's like oh, you know, Gil. Whenever Gil gets around to it, maybe. So this year, uh, what came out was a reissue of the Fanny Adams album from 1971. I got that. That's yeah, wonderful. Vince Maloney yeah. and uh, Doug Parkinson, a very very underrated album. Gil licensed that from Vince Maloney Directs. That's a good one. And then he reissued. 
include the Sun album, Sun 1972, which is Rene Gaia's first recording. So there's that. So he does get projects happening. The one that's been in the uh, pipeline for about a year, and I'm not sure what stage it's at because I finished the notes about a year ago, was Captain Matchbox Whoopi Band's Smoke Dreams, the first album. I still got my copy of that on record. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love it. If this is a bunch of bonus cuts, I could be persuaded to. Yeah, you should. There are there are bonus tracks. Yeah, there's that. So he did, he did um, probably six or seven, six, maybe eight years ago, did Wangaratta Wahini. Mm-hmm. I, I love the Captain Matchbox Whoopi Bands. So that, that one's in the works. I don't have anything to do with Gil in the sense of business or the production side of things. He just basically says, I need this. And I, you know, and then I don't hear from him for six months and I work on it. And then he says, I need it now. Yeah. So, you know, I've got to put to, I've got to finish the notes, put together all the tracking notes, the publishing lines, all the uh, text that goes into a production like that, organised if I've got whatever's in my archives, album covers or photos or posters or whatever. So, yeah, I don't know what else is happening with that. Uh, yeah, I still write a lot for Rhythms magazine. Brian Wise, editor, gives me a lot of space so I can do quite lengthy articles and I've written about a lot of these bands we've talked about tonight. And apart from that... For listeners out there who are excited by the idea of the Australian Encyclopedia of Rock and yes. Pop second edition is are there still copies available of that? Yes, I still have uh, some stock of that. This is the second edition, which, which funnily enough, I didn't realise came out nearly five years ago now. So it's twenty seventeen. What's that? I think that might have been the first time we had you on the show. Was yeah, to exactly. Talk about yeah. that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Anyone who's still interested in it, copies are available. It only goes up to uh, twenty seventeen. But I have a website which I put on my. Uh, there's also an archives page which I put a lot of my articles on and there's a uh, shop uh, on the page so the website is the w's thirdstonepress.com.au so it's all one word thirdstonepress which is my publishing company.com.au if anyone's interested it's a great resource thank you anytime I'm doing a discussion about an Australian album I mean look I read a lot I'll read up a lot and make a million notes about my own thoughts and all that but the first thing I'll do is go to your book because it's there. You've done all the hard work. And we had that discussion, you know, when the first time you came on the show Mm. about the importance of such a book, even in this day and age when everyone goes to Wikipedia as a first thing. But no, it's nice to be able to hold a lovely, great, beautiful book like this in your hands and flip through it and just think, oh, who's this band? Let's read up about them rather than looking for something specific on Wikipedia or whatever. So, yes, thank you. You've hit the nail on the head in terms of the use of the book and yeah I uh, wrote it for that specific purpose I still reach for my copy from the shelf and well flip through and said what God, what did I what's about that band what did I write about that band or whatever so <laughs> that's why I worked on it you know I wanted a book that I could do exactly that it's there thank well, you Morris. my absolute pleasure alright well we'll be back in a couple of moments with our final guest for this extravaganza this cavalcade <laughs> of stars cavalcade on the Love It album episode 100 72 we'll be back in a moment country boys i'll only waste your time i'm just talking about leaving this place leaving it all behind because i get confused with my wants and wishes tension between being free and ambitious I wanna be loved, I wanna be alone Wanna lose myself, but I wanna stay at home 
Hey everyone, um, my name is Mark. Um, I've been asked to talk about my favourite albums of the year for the Love That Album podcast. It was a really, really hard um, list to compile, so I've narrowed it down to 10. And I'll happily say they are all local artists too, and a number of friends are in my list in that as well, which is even great because I'd love to sort of support local artists and I love seeing my friends sort of get up and be um, proud and sort of do well with their art. Uh, the first album on my list is Nat Vazo is Strange Adrenaline. Hold your breath, get out of my skin, start over again. Come back in my head and remember you just like this. Which came out. I don't know, three, four months ago. It's a beautiful, beautiful summertime album. Just beautiful, um, beautiful instrumentation. And Nat sings absolutely stunning. It's a, just a beautiful sunshine album. I love it. The next one on my list, which is one that I really, really want to talk about because not a lot of people have remembered it, but it's an absolutely incredible album. It's by Fiend Wilson. The album is Honey Dates um, slash Dissolves. If you took me dancing Maybe I'd learn how to step again The debut album, I saw Finn at the curtain at the album launch, which was maybe four or five months ago. And I'll easily say it was my, it's been my gig of the year. Just his voice is just so incredibly commanding and he can absolutely just floor anyone that sits in front of the stage for him. That's a beautiful album again. Um, next one on my list is a fairly new one by uh, a band called Reinhardt's. I've saw them recently at the 86 Festival. Again, another beautiful um, power pop album, just full of anthems, big, 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 big um, harmonies. Uh, incredible album. Uh, the next one is Bad Dreams. latest one is called Hoo-Ha, which is actually quite a political album, which is good. They're really getting stuck into a lot of different themes in this album. I saw them at the reopening of the Tote, and they they played to an absolute packed room, which is absolutely incredible. So that was really good, and to see them sort of play all these new songs is even better. Uh, the next one is RVG's uh, Brainworms. They're playing drops of Jupiter Cause they never even knew you the room is so cold and dark 
Again, beautiful, just beautiful and dramatic. Anything that that band does is worth listening to. Incredible. Next one is Floodlights, Painting My Time. The time is now. I love the author. I love the Australian authenticity of this album. The singer has got such a classic, classic Australian voice. It reminds me all of, of all these great singers from, from the eighties. Uh, again, beautiful indie rocks, great stuff. Uh, the next one is Waddy Thompson's uh, uh, in the Fire Band uh, self-titled album. The afternoon grows silent. There's nothing else being said. I'm trying to bring you comfort. With the thoughts inside my head Now I don't lack compassion And I'm not being withdrawn But by the time I form a sentence Gender moments been and gone I saw Waddy at a huge launch at um, a venue over in Brunswick somewhere, which I can't remember the name of. It was a huge day, and, and if you've ever seen Waddy, you know he just puts his heart and soul into everything that he does, and it's a beautiful, incredible album. The next one, oh my God, I just love, love this album so much. Uh, Cash Savage and The Last Drinks, So This Is Love. full of drama and just full of beautiful themes. I was actually lucky enough to have a chat with Cash about this album early this year with a, with a group of mates at the Curtain and we sat down and we just sort of talked about the album and she was so gracious with the, all, everything that she did for us and she just gave us so much of her time and just went into real depth about what the album is about. Again, amazing. Uh, the next one is the one that came out really early this year that maybe not a lot of people have remembered also. Uh, Civics, Taken by Force. Another full throttle rock and roll album produced by the legendary uh, Rob Younger from Radio Birdman. Civic just get better and better over time. They're getting stronger and more powerful in everything they do. They just blow me away. Incredible. And the last one, which is the debut album by a band called Sand Brothers. And the album is called Too Much Sky. When I see you in an empty street, all the bells ring out. Which one of us has the most to Again, 
it's just another one of those classic Australian indie rock albums. It's just full of just psych, psych pop, I suppose is, is a good way to um, put it. Beautiful stuff, incredible. I really love just the arrangements of the album and everything about it. Anyway, I encourage everyone to go and check out every one of these albums. They're all readily available. And they most of these bands play quite a bit in Melbourne too. And they tour quite a bit as well. So I highly, highly encourage people to go out and check these albums out and all these things that they do. Anyway, love chatting to everyone and um, happy 20, the rest of 2023. And go see some more live music and buy more records. Cheers. episode 172 of Love That Album, and we're up to the final guest in this cavalcade of music <laughs> writers, music broadcasters. What's a cavalcade? Oh, I don't know. It's, it's like, like a Moomba parade or something, isn't it? Yeah, it's like a Moomba parade. Um, anyway, so we've got this long line of guest stars who are happy to talk to me about their Well, I couldn't make it, so I'll have to just sneak in if that's all right with yeah, you. Yeah, okay. Right. You'll, you'll have to do because that other bloke couldn't come. Right, okay. Oh, look, he's, he's very keen to talk. You've heard of a coffee with Aussie. I've just had a breakfast with Billy. <laughs> and you paid. <laughs> and I paid. I'm thrilled to welcome back to the show, Billy Pinnell. Welcome back to the program, Oh, Bill. thanks so much for inviting me, Morris. I look forward to this every year. Now, I was just saying before, every other person who I speak to on this show, we speak on Skype or or Zoom or whatever, but not with you. That doesn't work with you. No, I'm not a Skyper or a Zoomer. No, but we've recorded... We live in another world. We've recorded episodes in your car with the (laughs) clinking and clanking in the background at the Jam Factory, (laughs) one of the cafes there, in my lounge room. So it was a little bit quieter now in your lounge room. So thank you for welcoming... That's where we're comfortable, Morris. It it, it absolutely is. Doesn't need to be formal. I'm I'm looking forward to maybe next year we can record, I don't know, uh, in a plane. MCG or something. MCG, right. Oh, oh, uh, uh, Boxing Day test. No, we're not talking about the cricket today. Okay, right, not to worry. Or our premiership. We'll talk about that for another time. So anyway, enough of all this fun and frivolity. I'm here to ask you to talk Downtown to me. Downtown Yarraville. Downtown Yarraville. I'm here to ask you about your favourite music of 2023. And as part of the brief, I said to you, it doesn't have to be music that was released this year. It can be music from 50 years ago or whenever that you discovered for the first time this year, but it can be anything. What got you excited musically this Look, year? Do you know what, Morris? Most of it this year was... Born in Australia. That's sheer coincidence. I listen to a lot of music. It's part of, of, of what I do. But music that impressed me so much this year, some for the first time, some I'm familiar with, just had uh, a huge impact on me. And the latest is a band I've never heard of. They're from an album called Mount Fuji.
a friend of mine said to me, look, I love your show. When you're on 3W with Grubby on a Sunday afternoon. Oh, thanks very much. Uh, and he said, look, there's a bit of music that I'd like to introduce you to. You may not have heard of this band. They're from Melbourne. I can't call them Mount Fuji. And they've just done a, a, a new video for a new song. So they're instrumental. The core lineup is four musicians, guitar, bass, keyboards and drums. Then they augment the band with a horn section. But the, the horn section c- consists of tenor and alto sax, trumpet, trombone and flute. The lineup itself is, is quite incredible. So I, I think it is, you know, f- for a, a working Melbourne band. So I watched the video. The video is called Mr Pink. And I would say, probably categorically, not probably, categorically, it's the most creative music video I've seen this year. I don't like a lot of video. I don't like somebody that thinks that this is what the song really means. I'll make a film around it. That, that doesn't interest me. I want to make up my own mind about what a song means to me, not someone else's idea of why it's creative to them. And that's been a habit I've had for a long time. But of course, some are great. Some can just sit there on their own as a piece of art. This is what Mr. Pink by Mount Fuji is all about. I encourage yourself, anyone who's not familiar with them and from now on I'll be watching out for like for live stuff on on YouTube of Mount Fuji if they're playing anywhere locally I'll do my best uh, to get there to watch them but I think this is something really exceptional so let me start off with that one so I'll be playing a little bit of the music to augment this discussion but here we are I've not heard them yet so can you describe them for me I mean you've got to give me an idea about their instrumentation are they Uh, funk based are they nothing like that funk jazz rock they're hard to categorize in the live video I watched on YouTube because now I'll, I'll, I'll search for something every week. One of the three saxophone players was a young lady playing uh, tenor sax, and the sound would be, I think, great live with all the different influences. There's some afro in there, but Mr. Pink, just the idea behind Mr. Pink in the film clip, and it's got a tricky start. So when you watch it, folks, it ain't what it seems to be at the beginning, if I can just give you that much. But that's something that I came across it this week. And what I love, Morris, I love getting this information from you. It's been part of our friendship for a long time. You'll tell me. Something I haven't heard about before, I make little notes. I've got a little notepad like Richard Branson always carries. Well, I'm not comparing myself, but I'll write little notes down about And you've seen them. They're on this table now. They're everywhere. Bits of paper with stuff written on. So Mount Fuji was the first bit of paper that I probably wanted to share with you this week. And there's an artist that we talked about the last time we did our show together, and that's a singer-songwriter musician called uh, Marcel, who's from here in Melbourne. Return to the age of innocence time to believe it we didn't judge each other by the color of our skin we can believe in equality and I've been watching her performance over the last 12 months of a more of an opportunity she does a lot of performances on the Morundum Peninsula where she's building a really staunch following. She works there. She's only been playing live for a couple of years, but she's already getting like two, three performance jobs every week on the peninsula by no manager, no publicist, no booking agent. She just goes, makes herself known to these people, has a chat to them, and they book her. What a great way to start a music career. And during the last, maybe last 18 months, um, she shared some music with me that she hasn't actually released as recordings. And one is a song that, that she was compelled to write by what's going on around us. And it's, the song's called For the Children of the World. And it's a song about how we, as adults, 
should take a bit more notice of how children see the world. They don't know what prejudice means. They don't know the difference between black and white. They see the world through a prism that maybe we should look harder at sharing with them. So I'd like to share that song with our listeners during our podcast today. Mm. And I saw Marcel play live for the first time on Broadway as opposed to the off-Broadway show she's been doing at uh, the Paris Cat about three weeks ago. And she was breathtaking. Her performance was powerful, great songs, great connection with her audience. In fact, she, she talked about during the performance how she'd been to many shows as a spectator at the Paris Cat and how what an honour it was for her to play live her own music. And she said to the people that were there, look, I just want to say thank you for listening to my music. It's songs I believe in. And having you share those songs with me tonight, you know, I just can't tell you how wonderful I feel. And the people applauded it, applauded mm. her connection. So that's what she's got going for her. And so to have her, again, part of, of our, our podcast to me is well, to share them with you and with your listeners is now, very important. Now, she hasn't actually gotten around to recording a whole album. No, well, she has. Yet. She's still looking to get it released, and hopefully that will happen. Sometimes those things take a while, particularly music that's not comfortable for airplay or whatever it is now. That you and th- These are powerful songs about the vagaries of the human spirit. There's songs that Alanis Morissette would have had a delight in, in, in writing and recording herself. So she'll still look forward to having that out into the mainstream sooner than later. And another musician that has been part of my life for, well, it's got to be 40 years. His name's John Swan. We became very close uh, when I was first at Triple M and his music would arrive and I would listen to it and think, wow, this is so good. We got to do some interviews when, he, when his early albums came out. And he's a special bloke for lots of reasons. As a human being, he might get a bit embarrassed if he uses it, but I'll tell you anyhow. <laughs> like for, for, for quite a, year, a few years, he's been giving music lessons to children who are disadvantaged in some way or another. He recently was with a family who have an autistic child and this little fellow's playing the guitar with, with John and John's known him for a few years. After one piece they did, the young person came up and gave John a hug and the child's mother said, you know, he's never done that before. He's never hugged anybody because a lot of those young people aren't capable of doing that. That's Don Swan. That's part of why I admire him so much. So he sends me a note a month ago saying, Miss you, great to see you soon. I've just formed an outfit with producer Mark Moffat, who lives in Nashville, who produced Yothu Yindi when he was in Melbourne. He produced The Divinals. There were so many other great albums uh, that he did. So he, and I think he might even have produced John's first solo album. So now John's put together, well, it's not really a band, it's just two blokes, one, one in America, one here. It's called the Kilo Band, K I L O. Four songs that they've um, recorded. I think no, it might be five or six, but there's two or three originals. There's um, recording, well, their, their interpretation of, of Muddy Waters, Rolling and Tumbling, and a great version of Booker White's Parchment Farm. So you, you can find it online. It's the Kilo Band with Mark Moffat and John Swan. That's been a really important piece of music for me for all the reasons I just mentioned, our long time friendship and the fact that he's still making this great music. Someone we talked to, we've talked about many times in a different concept, a band that I first saw, oh geez, I don't know, late 70s with the sports and I became a huge fan of their music and, and then 
an ongoing fan of Stephen Cummings. They had a change of guitar player. Ed Bates was their first guitar player, who was a great musician. But as the music started to broaden, the choice of musicians also started to broaden, and a fellow called Andrew Pendlebury came in and played guitar, and he offered a, a different style of guitar than Ed Bates did. And he was part of the huge success that the sports had because of his, his songwriting and his great musicianship. Well, lately he's recorded a new album with a singer called Steve Pinkerton, who I'm not that familiar with, I must say. All right, there's a new album out now, which I've listened to constantly, and you'll be able to find it through all the different venues that you just mentioned. Pinkerton Pendlebury. played albums also. That'll be interesting. I remember the last time that Andrew did something in duo form, something that wasn't either in the sports name or in his own name. Actually, no, a couple of things he did. One with um, Mark Ferry? Yeah, he did a duo album with Mark Ferry and then he formed a uh, trio with Mark and with a lovely lady, Adi Sapir, who's uh, an Israeli cellist and singer who... But they had a name, didn't they? The Mercurials. The Mercurials. Mercurials. That's right. So one day, I think Mark Ferry was walking through, can't remember the name of the underground area near Flinders Street Station that's now closed off because they're oh, okay. doing the, the new building works. Oh, really? And he saw, he saw Adi busking and said, hey, I love your voice. I've been listening to you every time I walk past. Would you like to join this group? And she didn't know. She was like oh, nearly, nearly emigrated here yeah. and didn't know who Mark or who Andrew was. But the three of them got together and made some terrific albums. But also, remember, Andrew did some albums with a guy called Doug DeVries. Great the, guitar player. Yeah, Wonderful the two of them. So is, so is this Steve Pinkerton connection? Is it two guitars or what's the... No, I, I think... Look, I haven't got the sleeve notes again, but it's Andrew certainly playing guitar. I think there are some vocals there that, um, that I think belong to Steve more than they do to Andrew. But there are people like on the guitar, I think Stephen Hadley's on there somewhere. So they're great musicians. The, the songs are a really high standard, but it's just great to hear Andrew playing. Such a versatile guitar player. Like a, It's hard to pick all these influences. There's a bit of Django Reinhardt in there somewhere. There's a bit of you know, Jimi Hendrix now and again. But great guitar players aren't easy to categorise. They just play. They just play guitar. They're inventive. Whatever comes into their mind that suits that song, off they go. 1972, a singer called Renee Geyer recorded an album with a band called Sun. She was my partner on Rockwiz. Oh, was she? What a great artist. And, you know, thanks to the dedication of a bloke called Gil Matthews, who remasters albums that were released in that period, early 70s, gets them out there again, has sometimes rejuvenated careers of artists who haven't been talked about for a while, but with the release of an album of their classic material through Gil Matthews' organisation where he brings the sound up front. He's just so important for what he's doing with artists like this. It's just giving, allowing their careers to sustain sometimes. Well, it's great, the logic of the feeling. I feel great, so great now you are here. If you look into my eyes, they are revealing. That's the night I want to have you here. Yes. 
Sun album, I'd never heard of it until maybe about two, three years ago. And hearing Renee Gayer on that, it's so completely different to anything that yes. we've got to know her for. Right. Uh, and something I want to recommend to you, I found a three CD set. I think it was released like a very small batch on a small label this year. I think called the rehearsal tapes and it's I think out of the three albums I think one is just Sun without Renee Gay's all instrumental and the other two are with Renee and it's a lot less polished not that I'm saying that the Sun album itself is particularly overly polished but this is even rawer than that so um, because these are all unoriginal songs I mean original songs no covers that the music wasn't similar to what Renee was going to do when she formed her own band it's really worth seeking out Sun and Mm. um, and, Gil Matthews is doing great work oh he's extraordinary and he's to be congratulated for the wonderful work he does in giving these wonderful artists an opportunity again to have their music reheard now something a bit more uh, contemporary with that during this week and I bought a copy then at the Sun Bookshop a couple of weeks ago is a book called Songs from the Kitchen Table that features illustrations photographs stories and over a hundred lyrics to songs written by Archie Roach and Ruby Hunter it's a magnificent book and when I received a press release on that it came with a recorded track by a young lady I've never heard of called Ali Lovegrove who is a young indigenous singer and she's recorded a song called I'm Gonna Fly So I'm gonna fly Time to let go I'm gonna spread my wings And so The song is magnificent. The song is just so wonderful to hear. And when it's part of the promotion of, of, of this new book, Songs on the Kitchen Table by Ruby Hunter and Archie, I listen to the song, I love the song, I'll just bring it to people's attention again that, that, that love your show. Ellie Lovegrove, I'm Gonna Fly. Have you been able to look up and see what else she's done? Is she? Uh... I couldn't find anything else, but I'll, I'll certainly do that because... She should be heard. I've only heard one song so far, mm. and it's, it's I'm Gonna Fly. But the, the song, of course, is just so appropriate you know, to Archie and Ruby's story. So, again, all Australian ones. Seems to be a common theme, I think, with uh, this show. I think most of the other correspondents have been Do they, doing just about all Australian all right. stuff. So. Okay, here's another one. Here's a singer I first became aware of. This would have been late, was just before, the year before I started at Triple M, this would have been late 70s. I was walking past a pub, it's on the corner, the pub still exists, I don't know what it's called now, but it's on the corner of Turek Road and Punt Road. And I had one short name, yeah, that, that's who I've been. So I'm walking past one Friday night after I'd been to the Station Hotel and on my way to Bombay Rock. Mm. Pleased to shut the doors at 10.30 at the Station Hotel. No, anyhow, so I'm walking past here on the way back to my car, wanting to spend a bit more time with the rock and roll at Bombay Rock, which is in Brunswick, wasn't too far from there. And Peter Couples is playing. I, can, I, you know, I knew Peter and his guitar playing is so distinctive. And I thought, that's Peter Couples. And the door was open to the street. It was about closing time for the I'll just sneak in and have a look and you know I just saw him on stage and most of the crowd have gone by that time you know just not of recognition and he said look I just want to introduce you tonight to a young lady she's a friend of mine she's just come here from New Zealand so this is like late 1970s he said uh, her name is Jojo Smith and I'd like to introduce her to you now so Jojo came on and she sang Bill Withers Ain't No Sunshine I won't say I'll tell you what I said you can it was an exclamation it was gee whiz (laughs) 
<laughs> this is great. And so I found out where, from Peter, where, where can I see Jojo again? She, well, she's playing at the Town Hall Hotel in South Melbourne every Saturday night. And I thought, wow, I can go to the footy and then go straight <laughs> to... Um, so I went to the Town Hall Hotels. I reckon it was every Saturday night till the end of the year. So it was almost 52, 53 weeks till, till the first time I heard about it. I don't think I missed one till the, towards the end of that year. There wouldn't have been many. And I became a huge fan of Jojo Smith's music. She hasn't recorded a lot over the years, but she is a great singer. And she's just released also a new album called uh, This Is All There Is. How come? How come you're drawn? I find it hard to recognize these soldiers of mine. And again, original song. She's not a prolific songwriter, but she's written songs by musicians that she's familiar with. Uh, Greg Lyons won who, of course, played in Crossfire and has done some great things. He did a great album also last year. And, you know, Joe's chores of material, funk, gospel, soul, country. And, you know, there's little hints of Steely Dan and, and artists like that in the music. But she's just a great, you know, had she have lived in the US, she would have probably won a couple of Grammys by now and whatever, being the Jazz Hall of Fame. Anyhow, Jojo Smith's new album, P- please investigate it if you like that sort of music. Another singer that we're both familiar with is Rebecca Bernard, who's, again, a career I've followed closely for a long time now. And what I love about her her music is, again, she she covers so many different areas, and her new album is called Me, Myself and I. Me, myself and I are all in love with you We all think you're wonderful, we do Me, myself and I just one point of view We're convinced there's no one else like you It can't be And of course I associated that song with Joan Armatrading mm. but this is a Billie Holiday song I'd never heard of a Billie Holiday song and I'm a huge fan of Billie Holiday's called Me, Myself and I So I'd get the album and it's an album of songs from the Great American Songbook but not the obvious ones Songs that aren't very often recorded. And I'm thinking, talking about Marcel before, she, she can take a song recorded by someone else and make that song her own, mixed around the songs that, that she writes. Great singers can do that. But with Rebecca, she's as well, I mean, we know her more for her pop yes. back, background vocals yeah, or her yeah. lead stuff with Rebecca's Empire and the like. But yeah. her father was Len Barnard, who was Melbourne yeah, jazz Barnard. royalty. He was. And Bob, her uncle, same. Great jazz musician. Anyhow, that's her new album and was released this year. Now, the album's called uh, The Night We Called It A Day. The song I'm playing that I played was Me, Myself, I. The first time I got the album, I thought, oh, I'll ever listen. And I, and I went to that song. I wonder how Rebecca's going to do um, Joan Armatoni. Well, it wasn't. It was a Billie Holiday song. And so the songs are great. She's a great singer. And she understands what makes those songs work. It's the lyric, it's the melody. So th- there's someone else, you know, who I would strongly um, recommend you um, have a listen to. Then there's a band that, again, I came across, maybe as a result of Rebecca's album. It's a band called The Silver Sound. Tone and you don't know why she 
an album I know. This is also an album that Ian McFarlane was excited about. Was he? Yeah. I, I bought this album. Fantastic. The band fronted by Shane O'Mara, one of the world's greatest guitar players, I can say that uh, unashamedly. And I remember writing something like this. I, I do a Facebook page. No, I haven't joined social media, but I do put a Facebook page up. People can read it if they want, but they can't contact me through there. Sorry about that, but it's just the way I do things. And you'll find me on Billy Panola Music Show, as you know, because sometimes I'll indulge myself by sending it to you too. And so I, I just remember wanting to put this particular album up on my Facebook page just to talk about it. And I remember saying, I fear that my words will in no way adequately do justice to the music on this album. And that's how I feel about it. It's uncategorizable. It's guitar music. It's got some just great ideas about the arrangements of the music. There are songs that suggested Sun Ra, Iggy Pop. There's bits of funk, there's bits of country, blues, romanticism, electronica. They're all there on this fantastic album with uh, Andrew Tanner doing uh, the singing, uh, Leroy Cope, who's a great drummer, uh, Stu Thomas, and Shane, of course, uh, who, who fronts the band. I'm, uh, I'm with you that he is one of the, if not the greatest guitarist in this country, then he's certainly... Well, he's one of There's lots. There's lots right. he, I, I saw him tons of times when he was playing alongside Chris Wilson, obviously. Yeah, of course you did. We, that's right. But... I think possibly the time that really blew my mind the most was I went to the Corner Hotel and there were a whole bunch of artists who were doing a tribute, I don't know, for whatever birthday yeah. Neil Young was having at the time. So oh, they're doing and yeah, Shane has a lot of those, doesn't and he? And Shane played Cortez the Killer. <laughs> My goodness. And just, I think every other guitar player in the room just wept and said, right, I'm throwing away yeah. my guitar. Because with Shane, it's, I, I've said this on another show, with him it's never been about speed runs. That's not the type of guitar no, player he is. With him, it's about soundscape. It's about dynamic, pulling back, going forward. Soundscape's about, a great word. It's yeah, a that, great word. That's a beautiful player and okay. certainly one of the great. So they're, they're just some of the albums that, 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 that I've listened to like constantly throughout the year. Just some others that, that I would like to mention. These go outside of the Australian content that I've been talking about uh, late. There's a great album by Rhiannon Giddens called You're the One. I woke up this morning Something on my mind Lying here beside you But I feel so far behind Another versatile, soulful musician that fuses folk, country, Jamaican, anything. So if you're a fan of that sort of music, have a listen to what Rhiannon Giddens has just done with her new album. Ben Rogers, another great Melbourne guitar player, the Ben Rogers Instrumental Asylum. quite comfortably stand up on stage next to any other great guitar player we've talked about this afternoon and hold his own, a trio. Again, someone I'm going to have to spend more time seeing live this year, but the new album by Ben Rogers called Splash Landing. His style goes between Danny Gatton, again, he's another um, Django Reinhardt fan, Dick Dale, you can play anything. Then we've talked about, we've talked about that, uh, all right, um, biographies. There's one that uh, Matt Frederick from PBS 
wrote maybe earlier this year called A Meeting at the Crossroads, Robert Johnson and the Devil. It's it's a book about Robert Johnson. It's fascinating, absolutely fascinating, well-researched, not glorifying the artist or the songs, but talking about the extent of, of, of his influence on anybody that's ever played blues, bass, rock and roll. It's a must-read, or was for me anyhow. Then this one from Sam Fell, who's a writer for Rhythms Magazine, great writer. He's Samuel L. Fell in the magazine. The album's called Full Coverage, and it's a history of rock journalism that starts in Melbourne in the mid-60s with Gosset and, and Duke and magazines like that. And there are so many people mentioned in his story that had a huge effect on me, like Ed Nimmerwell's effect mm-hmm. when he was in both those publications. So that was a great read, and so I, I would like to make people uh, aware of that. And just a couple of other bits and pieces. There's a book called The Islander, um, which is a, a documentary on... Uh, well, not it's not a documentary. It's a, a self-written book by Chris Blackwell, who was a founder of, of, um, of Island Records. What's so important about Chris Blackwell was that, unlike a lot of other blokes who, who, who stole a label and ran them themselves, he didn't have everybody signing contracts. He just said, all right, I just love your music. One was a bloke called Nick Drake, who had limited success anywhere in the world, became something of a cult figure in England during the folk period of the mid to late 70s, before the punk movement. He recorded three albums and it was a posthumous album released. None of them sold very well. Uh, none of them caused much reaction. But the music was so powerful. But it came from the heart and soul of a bloke who was a complete introvert. He didn't do any interviews. He didn't do any live performances. He was awkward with people. But Chris Blackwell took him under his wing and said, look, you're a great songwriter. Just write. Just record. I'll put them out there. It doesn't really matter. You don't have to reflect on what the last album might have sold or didn't sell. As long as you are happy to keep writing these extraordinary songs, I'll put them out there for you. Maybe that's why Paul McGuinness, who was a manager of U2, when U2 were looking for a recording deal, said to Bono and the other members, listen, there's this bloke that's got a, a label called Island Records. Have a look at his resume. Have a look who he's recorded. You know, he brought Bob Marley to a universal, not universal, an international audience. That's Chris Blackwell. He's extraordinary. He discovered Stuart Winwood at the age of 15, 14 playing some piano. He didn't know who it was. He was in a room to watch another band. He didn't like them so much. And he said, what's that music upstairs? And the bloke that took him to the venue said, oh, it's just this band. They're just trying out. Let's go and have a look. Listen, so they're walking up the stairs. And Chris said, it was a bloke. It was like a youngish Ray Charles I was listening to. He said, the, the, just... The, the voice and, and the interpretation of... He said, I couldn't even hear the lyrics well, but it sounded like Ray Charles. So up he goes, and there's this kid at the piano, and he says to someone, is that bloke playing that piano? I said, oh, there's a group called the Spencer Davis group. They're just rehearsing. They haven't done that. I haven't got a recording deal yet. They're just sort of trying out. And his brother Mervyn or, or Muff Winwood, he's sort of the leader of the group with a bloke called Spencer Davis. You know, they're a bit older than Steve, but Steve's the younger brother of Muff Winwood. He's 14. And, and so... Chris Blackwell can't believe he's here. So he stops, you know, when they finish rehearsal, he says, look, I'd just like to talk to you about the possibility of recording. And that became the Spencer Davis group. So his story is full of wonderful reminiscing about stuff like that. And he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Not that that's a huge deal anymore. Not for the ones that are in there. It's for the ones that aren't in there. Yeah. I mean, no disrespect to those people. George Michael, no disrespect. He's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Joe Cocker's not. And I'll continue on that on another podcast that we do something. <laughs> so at the inauguration speech, Chris Blackwell says, I feel so humbled to be here. You know, people I've been able to work with, people are just such inspiring human beings. He said, one of them is a, is a bloke called Steve Winwood, who stayed on my label 
all his career, and he said, I know that artists came to talk to me at my label because of Steve Winwood being there. And he said, because Steve endorsed our label by being on there for his entire career, he said, I just want to publicly thank him now. Here I am at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for what he's done for me and for what he's done for music. So reading a, a book by a bloke like that was pretty inspiring. There's one called Charlie's Good Tonight, the only biography I've ever read. I don't want to know all the stuff about, no disrespect, to Mick Jagger and, and to Keith and to Ronnie Wood. That, that's interesting for someone else, not for me. I just love the music. But Charlie wasn't a rock star. Charlie was a musician in a rock and roll band. I want to read his story. Again, it's fascinating because you talks about stuff that would be of no interest to someone who wants to know about the lives of the other three people I've just mentioned. It's about a love of his wife of nearly 60 years, surely, mm-hmm. and the fact that he was a great family man. And when the others went out again and did their thing after a show, he'd go back to the hotel room and he would sketch things in the hotel room and keep a book of a chair or a cupboard or something in the hotel room. And he would say to the hotel staff, look, don't come into my room. I'll put my clothes away. I'll clean up my room. I'd just like to have this room to myself. That's not rock and roll. Mm. So Charlie's book was absolutely fascinating. And I'm so glad now that I spent the time to read that one, as opposed to going through all the stuff you hear about a thousand times, sure. exaggerated out of all possibility. Don't want to know about it. The Charlie Watts one, I, I did want to know about it. And the esteem in which he was held by jazz musicians, by all musicians. So that were just some of my highlights this year. One film I missed, and maybe you can direct me in the right direction for another time, is a movie, Lost Angel, The Genius of Judy Sill, who's been one of my favourite... Laura Nero and Judy Sill became a force in my life listening to their music and I've kept all their music I replay their music so often and because of Judy Sill's brief career I think three albums maybe one of those a posthumous release and the way she was poorly treated by record companies and a lot of other stuff but her commitment to making music that sounded like no one else's none of her influences that I could pick up on were influences of songwriters of her time she wrote a song the nice just by mine. But it's a song about angels coming down in a spaceship and taking worthy people away to a wonderful place elsewhere. This is a serious songwriter. And she wrote a song called The Kiss, which is, I reckon, one of the most beautiful love songs ever written. You're going to get no argument out of All right. Me. So if anybody can point me in the right direction, Lost so, Angel, the genius of Judy Sill. It might have been so the you film didn't, you didn't get you didn't get to see it? No, I didn't. Okay, and so that's one I, of the great regrets of my life. If I could have that, somebody send it to me on my computer so okay. I could watch it one time. Yeah, she's somebody. Uh, songwriters I respect. I've said to them, female songwriters, anyone, please listen to the music of Laura Nero playing her own piano, arranging songs like nobody, not like Joni Mitchell, not like anyone, like Laura Nero. And I remember when she was inaugurated in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and Bette Midler, she read the inauguration. And I think Bette Midler, I think there's a toughness about Bette Midler. I admire her so much for what she's achieved. But she was in tears talking about... And she was inspired by the music of Judy. So that was enough for me. I, mean, I didn't need any endorsement, but the fact that Bette Midler would unashamedly live on television, um, have tears in her eyes, talking about the music of Judy. So it makes me think, yeah, I'm, I've got I've got someone that I can call. You wouldn't call me a hero. You don't know them. But you love their music so much. And the fact that she died young under tragic circumstances and isn't here like you and I to talk about it. So I want her music now. So... I did get to see the Judy Sill oh, film. I was showing goodness. a myth, did you? Was it uh, sad? a few months ago. 
I don't know. I mean, I found there was a lot of stuff in there that I thought, because I thought I knew her story. Yeah. I thought I knew her backstory. Oh, there's a lot of her stories the, there. One piece of information that came out, and this is great because this is a musical piece of information, was that she actually knew how to play double bass. She briefly played with this yeah, guy. I can't remember. I had no idea. And I thought I knew a lot about, I mean, yeah. well, there's all the famous stories about the tragedy of her childhood and yeah. about how to make money she had to do stick-ups and she went into... In the backseat of a car for years. Yeah, she went to a gas station and she was so nervous and said, this is a fuck-up mother sticker. All those stories are famous, but this film went into a whole lot more. So next year, I've already made an arrangement. I have the director of, or one of the directors of that film, coming Mm. onto my other podcast, See Here. We're going to be talking about that. So we'll be getting hold of that film. At the moment, the film's only sort of like doing the rounds of the film festivals. Hasn't made its way to streaming or DVD. I've been in contact with a wonderful fellow, been a guest on the show before, called Pat Thomas, and he's just been telling me, keep patient. There is something on YouTube. There's a press conference where... I think a lady from a Rolling Stone magazine is questioning, it might be three or four people involved in the creation of the film, yeah. and that gives you some idea. And there are other short bios, like 15-minute bios of her online too, where great songwriters talk about the huge effect that she had on their music, men and women. When Graham Nash heard her music, he offered to record an album. He's in the film. Is he? Yeah. Yeah, and the same with Terry Reid. You know, Graham just had a great ear for great music. You know, Terry Reid's still around, and we talked about him another time. Had he made different decisions, like he was a first choice for Led Zeppelin. Mm. Maybe it was a good thing he didn't join Led Zeppelin. 100%. All right, but he was... Jimmy Page asked him, and he said, look, I'm just about to go on tour with my own band. You know, when do you need me? And Jimmy Page said, oh, we need you now. We've got, we've got a record deal with a singer. And Terry Reid said, no, I'm not prepared to put my own band aside for now. There's a singer down the local Birmingham pub called Robert Plant. If you're with him, no, all right. Go and talk to him. He's a great singer. And that's what happened. So Jimmy Page and Peter Grant go to this pub. He's Robert Plant. You know, that's great. I'd love to talk to you about your band. If you've got a drummer, they said, well, not really. My bloke's pretty good, and that was John Bonham. So sliding doors. Yeah, indeed. Now, I'm glad that Terry Reid didn't join Led Zeppelin, and I think all this talk about... Or things. (laughs) I think all this talk about, oh, if only he would have done that. No bullshit, because... He was his own person. We wouldn't have had great albums like River, um, Bang Bang Your Terry Reid. Seed of Memory is a classic album, which is great as We've covered that on the show before. Yeah, Um, Graham Nash produced. Terry, he sounds like he's the sort of guy who would have been stifled, and I think one or two albums in, he would have said, Peter Grant, go fuck yourself. Well, he's come to terms with all that now, hasn't he? So if you you can look him up now, and there'll be recent interviews, and he laughs about all that. He's got this fantastic attitude. You know, he's someone, you know, who would love to sit down, I know you were too, like we are now. Not talk about the things he missed doing, but the, the things he achieved. He achieved so much. Yeah, as you say, he's still out there and working. He was supposed to be doing a tour around England uh, maybe about a month or two ago, but he got ill, had to go into hospital. I think he's okay now. Yes. But I just wish he'd come here. We've yeah, never seen right. him here. Yeah, it's probably a bit late but maybe for that now. But he, he can play somewhere like the Blues Festival of Byron Bay. There's a lot of places he can play. Yeah, the Corner Hotel. Sure. But, you know, that might not happen. But people like Judy Sill and people like Laura Nero and people like Terry Reid, there are ones that I continuously go back to because all those years ago they made an enormous impression on me and have continued to, and I've unashamedly talked about them. We're talking about them now to people who mightn't be aware of those. So they're three of my of my all-time favourite artists um, I'm happy to talk about any time. Well, 
Thank you for talking about them on this show. I'm, I'm wrapped that we've had this chance to do this. And look, listeners out there, if you're only hearing Bill for the first time on this particular episode, go back. He's been on a few times. We've had these conversations. All right, anyway, we'll be back and I'll be talking about what is happening on episode 173 because I think we've reached the end of, uh, of this show. But I'll be back in a couple of minutes. favorite discoveries of 2023 both episodes all in the books it's done it's complete i hope that you enjoyed my conversations with these five wonderful gentlemen spread out over two episodes brian nankervis jeff jenkins Pat Monaghan, Ian McFarlane, Billy Pinnell, plus the feedback that I got in the last episode and in this episode from Mark Andrew. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Really, really appreciate you taking the time to do that. And I'd just like to say that here we are at the end of 2023. I'd like to say a huge thanks to any one of you who listened to an episode, recommended an episode to other people, either in person or in the world of social media. It means a lot to me. Um, My huge thanks once again to the wonderful people at Pantheon Podcast for allowing this and the See Here Podcast, my other show, to grace their space, grace their airways, play in their sandpit, all those usual sorts of things. Uh, And just a quick word so I can put in a plug for See Here if you've not listened to it before. See Here, that's S-W-H-E-A-R, is a podcast that I do with my two wonderful friends, Tim Merrill and Kerry Gately-Fristo, where we talk about music-related movies. Give that a listen. I'd greatly appreciate it. Hopefully you can find something there that will um, inspire you. Maybe you'll enjoy the conversation. We often get to speak to directors of films and sometimes the three of us just sit around the virtual table and have a discussion about a favourite or sometimes not so favourite music related film. That we're Actually, as I'm recording this, we're coming to the 10th anniversary of See Here. There should be an episode out in January that will be 10 years since our very first episode. And in case you're interested, our January 2024 episode will be focusing on a new film called The Immediate Family, directed by Denny Tedesco. We'll be having Denny on the show. Denny was the director of a film you may remember from a few years back called The Wrecking Crew. And The Immediate Family is another film about the Los Angeles session muso scene, uh, this time from the early 70s. The Wrecking Crew was mainly known for its work in the 60s, but The Immediate Family different group of musicians their big period was the 70s so looking forward to speaking to Denny about the immediate family no doubt we'll be speaking about the wrecking crew as well if you haven't caught up with that episode of see here I'd be flattered and delighted if you went back to have a listen to that or indeed any of the previous episodes of the see here podcast so I figure that you know I'm entitled to give a plug. It's my other show. So hope that you enjoy that. Uh, What else can I tell you? Okay, so there's going to be some stuff happening in my world over the next few months, which is going to limit my ability to record episodes for the next, let's say, three months of Love That Album. And for that matter of see here, uh, we'll see. I'm not saying it's not going to happen, but it's going to be a little bit tough over the next three months, hopefully back to normal in April of uh, 2024. 
but please don't evict us from your podcast feed. This show is definitely coming back as we'll see here, but things will be a little bit touch and go for the next three months. I'm not going to go into any further detail, but everything is okay. But just, yeah, real life sometimes intrudes as it has in the past with both of these shows. I'm sorry that it has to happen again. As I said, I'm not saying that we won't put anything out over the next three months, but I'm not going to push myself to a, a date and or time for uh, putting out episodes over these next three months. So once again, thanks very much for listening to this show. Thanks very much for your support. It means more to me than you know. So until we speak again, look after yourselves, be nice to each other and catch up with some great music. Use any of the recommendations that my guests have made over the past two shows or find something else. Post in the Love That Album Facebook group what you're listening to. Always interested to know. Until we speak again, all the best. Cheers. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.